Welcome to Reading and Ranting, where we read obsessively and rant about life in our 20s. I'm Mia. And I'm Carly. And I'm sure you can guess what today's episode is about from the title, from our intro music, if anyone watches the Super Bowl or NFL. It's Massiverse Super Bowl Day, where we're going to discuss everything ranging from crossovers and theories ahead of Crescent City 3, House of Flame and Shadow, which is being released on Tuesday, January 30th, which is literally days away. Me and I are so behind in our rereads, but there's no way that I wait to finish before I get this book in my hands and dig in. And I'm legitimately deleting my TikTok so that I don't see any spoilers before I finish. Mia already has PTO on her calendar as well so that she can basically just tear this book up in 24 hours. And obviously, guys, there are so many theories that we want to discuss, but just for the sake of time, in this part, we're going to be sticking to our main bread and butter, which are the actual important theories relevant for Crescent City 3. So depending on that ending, I'm sure we're going to have many more theory episodes to record. Obviously, this goes without saying, but there are spoilers for the entire Massiverse universe in this episode. We're talking Throne of Glass, A Court of Thorns and Roses, and obviously Crescent City. So please, 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 if you haven't read these and finished all three series, please stop listening and come back and join the party when you're done. Don't say we didn't warn you. Now let's get into it. All right, guys. So I think we need to do a little bit of background and laying down the land with our first theory talking about the actual crossover and some of the history between Prithian and Midgard. So obviously the biggest pieces of evidence that we have for this crossover and the confirmation that the Fae came from Prithian into Midgard through the Northern Rift is the story that Rhysand tells about High King Phion and the overlap between that story and the story of Queen Thea and her daughters and Prince Peleus, aka this is what the Crescent City and Prithian overlap is. So we know that Queen Thea had two daughters, Helena and an unnamed one who disappeared with most likely King Phion of Prithian. So after Sky and Breath, we learn that Helena was forced into a marriage by Prince Peleus after he killed her mother and said bloodline like is what produced Rune and Bryce. But no one knows what became of the second daughter. That's important because they're going to come back to that later. However, Helena had golden skin and black hair like Rune and Reese. So the story that Rhysand tells is that King Phion of Prithian, who was the first and only high king of Prithian, was betrayed by his queen and his general, aka Queen Thea and Prince Peleus. So when Rhysand is asked by the inner court what happened to Phion, he responds by saying, quote, Phion was betrayed by his queen, who had been leader of her own territory, and by his dearest friend, who was his general. They killed him, taking some of his bloodline's most powerful and precious weapons. Those So a couple important points just off of this quote, which, side note, like, you guys, can we just talk about how Sarah J. Mass is so brilliant that, like, one sentence can have so many different meanings for this fucking crossover like this is not the yeah. this is not the last time it really blows my mind how she like plans this in advance like she's writing series simultaneously planting seeds like for crossover it's just it really blows my mind yeah and literally mind-boggling insane like the way that my mind as we're recording this episode is literally running like a million miles an hour 
So a couple important points off of this quote, right? He says that his queen, Quintea, had been leader of her own territory. So we're going to get into this a little bit more in the second theory we talk about. But obviously, this has to be the Dusk Court, as Queen Thea was the high lady slash ruler of the Dusk Court. Which, like, side note, goes back to what Rhysand once told Feyre. Of course there could be high ladies. Like, who told you there couldn't? Mm-hmm. Anyways, that's a, little, that's a fun little anecdote. Then she then recent says that they killed him, taking some of his bloodline's most powerful and precious weapons, aka Gwydion, aka the Star Sword in Midgard, and also likely stealing the harp to use it. So this is kind of like further confirmed in House of Sky and Breath, chapter 73, which is like the big one with Regulus having all of this like monumental, massive information dump. Um, he says, your ancestors wielded the horn and another fey object the, that allowed them to enter this world. So that's obviously the harp because based on what we know about the harp, that's like the only plausible trove, dread trove item that could have been used. Um, in Akasaf, we learned that the harp, can, quote, the harp can open any door physical or otherwise, some say between worlds. So Thea definitely used this combination to open the rift between worlds and take her dust court to um, Midgard. And we kind of like know some of that story. Again, we'll get into this in more detail later, but because what Nesta feels when she goes to find the harp in the prison. So we think that Thea took the Duskcore and Gwydion, the Star Sword, to Midgard, and then they were trapped and tricked by the Asteri, and this was 15,000 years ago through the Northern Rift. So um, potentially, this is what's going to need to be used to either reopen that rift and or in the battle with the Ast- upcoming battle with the Asteri. So Rigilus also, for just more evidence of this theory, is Rigilus tells Bryce that the star on her chest that glows also glows for those who you choose as your loyal companions, knights. So what, Bryce demanded? So that star will lead us back to that world through you. They overthrew our brethren who once ruled there, and we have not forgotten. So that's going to be important later when we chat more about the Asteri and their history in Prithian. But basically, it just confirms, obviously, the Asteri are trying to get back to the world of Prithian um, and that Bryce is the key. So that's why Bryce lands in Prithian, because her star is literally a beacon to Prithian. All right. But before we go any further, let's go back to how Mia had mentioned that Queen Thea had a daughter, Helena, and then also an unnamed daughter. So obviously, we don't know where this unnamed daughter went, who she is. But our theory and a lot of theories out there basically say that what if this second unnamed daughter had actually married an Illyrian, um, specifically an Anelius, whoever you would say that, I'd leave it to you guys, who defended Ramiel from ancient enemies, which would be the Daglin or the Asteri. And so thus Illyrians are actually descended from her and Anelius specifically. So that would be the bloodlines of Cassian, Asriel, and Reese. And if you notice, every Illyrian we've met has golden skin, they have black hair, and then also, let's not forget that Cassian and Asriel, you know, the Bat Boys, the Inner Circle, they are some of the strongest pure-blooded Illyrians out there. They both have seven siphons, 
And also Cassian is said to fight like Anilius and Asriel is a shadow singer with shadows swirling around him. So that allows him to hide and teleport like magic that Rune and Cormac have in Crescent City. So, you know, this all is just connecting the the Night Corps are Larys and Obviously, Reese also is a High Lord who has a striking resemblance to Rune at the end of Crescent City when he walks into the room with Bryce in it. She literally says, like, she thought it was her brother at first. So we just don't know, like, how he could have inherited these features. Were they from his mother, who is an Illyrian? Um, just like how Rune also inherited his looks from his mother, Lauren Donnell. Yes. So, you guys... This is basically, like, yes, it's a theory, but this is practically canon um, explaining how the Fae of Midgard originated from Prithian, from Thea, which is confirmed by Regulus and Aedas. Um, And so that our theory, obviously, as Regulus says, is that they want to get back to conquer Prithian. Um, And so we're going to get back to this and how this theory and getting back to Prithian all connect together. But... A slight alternate theory to Thea's bloodline, um, not just going all the way through Rune and Bryce through the Autumn King, potentially Thea's bloodline could actually run through a human line, which would be the Quinlans, as offspring between Thea and Aedas. So a lot of this theory I've pulled from a user on Reddit, regular underscore main 4600. So complete credit to them for pulling this together. Um, I'm just elaborating on it a little bit more with what I've noticed. Um, so pointed out that the name Quinlan comes from an old Gaelic name, O'Kinlian, um, which means... <laughs> Which means another just, another pronunciation, you know, this entire episode, just like be kind yes. to us. So and so sorry. I know that that's very important culturally, but this means descendant of Canalian. Um, and so that directly translates to English to descendant of the slender. And we fir- when we're first introduced to Adis in House of Earth and Breath, or House of Earth and Blood. <laughs> Bryce, when Bryce summons him, the first descriptive word that's used by him is slender. So we get, quote, this slender, pale-skinned pretty boy from Bryce. Then we also know that Quinn, Quinlan, is Latin for five or fifth. Aetis is the prince of the fifth level of hell, the prince of the chasm. Um, Ember, Quinlan, Bryce's mom, very interesting character. I want to know more about her background because... Because she was described as a, quote, vessel for Sithona while she was pregnant with, with Bryce. And in Greek, Sithona means the underworld, a.k.a. ring a bell, potentially hell. Um, Ember also wears a pendant called the embrace, which is an embrace between their gods Solus and Sithona. So if Sithona is symbolism for hell and Solus is symbolism for the sun, a.k.a. a star, what if that actually depicts the lover's embrace of Aedis, um, which is a prince of hell, obviously, and then Thea, the starborn queen? Because we know that Aedis says that Thea was his one true love. He loved her. So then we also, this is just, like, interesting to know and point out that Aedis is really interested and invested in Bryce, like, more so seemingly than Apollyon and the other princes of hell. Um, and so he appears to her, we know, after her oracle visit at 13, you know, what blinds an oracle, Bryce Quinlan. He knows that she's Thea Starlight reincarnate, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And Hunt also makes a comment that, quote, 
he seems like he had some sort of claim on her and then later um Adis responds though my lo- my lovely Bryce and the horn on her back Hunt suppressed a growl at the word my as all of them look to her so just really interesting to note that like maybe potentially he has this claim to Bryce because she might be his descendant so Adis also then explains just like more potential um, evidence to this is that Adis describes the quote unquote corrupted starborn bloodline of both the Avalon Fae and the Autumn King for Rune. Um, and so he makes it clear that that was Peleus's corrupted bloodline, which runs through both Bryce and Rune. Um, and so that would point to the Autumn King's shared heritage. Um, now, all the way back to Prithian, you guys. Anyone remember a certain prisoner in the prison, carves bones, appears as a child? The bone carver talks about a clever fae female warrior whose blood now runs in a human line. So bone carver is explaining to Feyre and Akawar this female warrior would have been, quote, his salvation, aka I think this was Queen Thea. And his salvation obviously would have been his means to return hope, um, home, which would have been his his large hope because all he's been wanting and working towards while in the prison is to go home. That's what he's so interested where Feyre went when she died. He's like, did you see anything? Another world, a gate. Um, and so with Thea's ability to open gates with both the horn and the harp, that's why the bone carver wanted um, to escape Prithian and return to his homeland. Um, so he mentions, quote, that a trace um, that a trace of her bloodline still runs through some hu- some human line. So it's been speculated that that human line was the Archerons, but we also know that obviously Thea was once of the world of Prithian. Um, and so the bone carver, with his ability to kind of see and this kind of premonition ability that he has, very well could be able to see into other worlds and know that that bloodline ended up in Midgard and now runs through the Quinlans. Um, and so he goes on to say in that same chapter with Feyre, no one remembers her name, but I do. That aligns with how Thea was wiped from history in Midgard. Um, as Adis said, the Asteri fed their lies to your ancestors and made the scholars and philosophers write down their version of events under penalty of death and erased Thea from the record. So... This kind of just like all wraps nicely together with a bow. The bone carver is an old god, his powers of divination. So I think that it's just very, very possible that Thea's bloodline runs through the Quinlans and then obviously with Peleus um, through the Autumn King. So Bryce is like double down starborn heir. So obviously focusing a lot on this Dusk Court, Now that we've established that Queen Thea came from Prithian and then she went through the northern rift to Midgard, but now Bryce is back in Prithian and, you know, we basically believe, as theories would point to, that Bryce is quite literally her heir, reincarnate, whatever. What is next? So, obviously, like, even going back to Akatar, if you remember, Reese points out that there, it was either Reese or Cassian, they point out that there's a missing eighth court and you know we're thinking is the prison island the missing dust court in prithian but you know other than that like there's also the ties obviously bryce 
in Rune have powers like Starborn powers relating back to the Dusk Court. But then they also have familial relations with the Autumn Court. You know, I mean, the Autumn Court in Midgard and Prithian are very similar. You know, like they all have red hair. Rice and her father have red hair and amber eyes like Eris, Vansera, as well as... um. Enar and Cormac, they have fire magic. So, you know, there's some combinations of different courts here. But, you know, we do see that Bryce is obviously like some sort of heir to the Dusk Court. But I am curious where it will play out with like her relations to the Autumn Court as well, especially now being back in Prithian, having a lot of features that would call back to the Autumn Court. But other than that, there's this saying that in crescent city i actually just reread this um on my crescent city reread that says when the knife and sword are united so shall our people be so we have the sword which is the star sword and currently in this first book of crescent city rune has the star sword as like a starborn um even though he only has a little bit of starborn power but i was thinking back i'm like who had this knife who had like this, you know, truth teller knife, Asriel. And as the shadow singer, you know, we're like, and who finds Bryce when she lands in Prithian? Literally Asriel. Obviously the second Christmas city book shortly ended after we got the Asriel, Bryce and, you know, inner court meeting. But this was just hinting towards so much in the upcoming book, Crescent City 3. And in terms of the dead trove so the horn which is literally tattooed on bryce's back um it was wielded by peleus and the starborn fey in crescent city but the dead trove also was ancient in prithian it only awoke in akasaf because it wanted to be found aka wielded by nesta or to wait for bryce to land in prithian because like does call the like i mean who I feel like everyone also is already hypothesizing that Bryce and Nesta are going to be the best friends. Like, I think they have lots in common. But other than that, there's, you know, just so much here. Like, so we know Bryce landed in Prithian because we think she's heir to the Dusk Court and her starborn light and the horn will probably leave her people home. And then also, she could be the High Queen and unite all the courts under one leadership to overthrow the Asteri again, as we do have a war coming, um, likely with the Asteri. Yeah. And so all of this is just important because there's all of these little Easter eggs tying together into how Bryce is connected, again, like Carly said, not just to the Night Court, but potentially Autumn Court. And then a potential other connection that, Loki, this is a headcanon for me. I really hope that we get some sort of little um, nod to this. But we know our girl Bryce is obsessed with Pegasuses. We've got Jelly Jubilee, which Hunt thought was her vibrator and is, in fact, just like a collectible mm-hmm. little Pegasus. Um, it's, it gives like My Little Pony for me. I don't know. That's like what I picture, yeah. which I think is like what Sarah J. Mass was It's a nod to My Little Pony for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um. So there's a scene in Akasaf that kind of just like – it just like really like bugs me. Like I just need to know. And this is when Helion comes to the Night Court to show them how to make wards around the mask, which is one part of the Dread Trove obviously. And Helion says that he – when 
he was he was almost like unable to look or stay in the same room as the mask and he basically says that maybe one of my ancestors wielded this and so there's some like ancient warning in my bloodline um so decor starborn ancestors question mark um Mm -hmm. and since like Bryce's connections with the Pegasus imagery. We also see in Akasaf, um, when they're talking about the Pegasuses of the decor, since Helion flies in on one of his Pegasuses, which he has seven breeding pairs of Pegasuses left, but there used to be much Say more. Say Pegasuses one more time. Pe- pe- Pegasi. Pegasi. <laughs> Pegasi. Sorry, guys. I'm just I'm so excited about Pegasuses. <laughs> um, <laughs> they say um they say in Akasaf, according to legend the pegasuses had come from the island the prison sat upon and had once fed in fair meadows that had long given way to moss and mist perhaps that was part of the decline their homeland had vanished and whatever had sustained them there was no longer aka the prison the dust court held the pegasuses like guys i just can't the starborn I- power am so freaking excited to see where this goes mm-hmm. um and then a last little connection for like what these potential next steps are is we've got rune still back in midgard and rune's connections obviously we've pointed out that he looks so similar to reese my next theory and headcanon rune's mom lauren donnell is actually reese's sister So there's a couple, like, different ways that this theory could come about, but my favorite is that Rune's um, Rune's mom, Reese's sister, somehow escaped Hamlin and his father and brothers um, attempting to murder her and her mom by escaping through one of the potential portals in Prithian to Midgard. So Rigilus says that the Asiri hid access points, aka word gates slash rifts, in Prithian. And I think that one of these is the monolith on top of Ramiel, or potentially the pool of starlight in the spring court. So what if Risa's sister escaped through one of those and landed somehow in Midgard? Timeline-wise, this pretty much adds up because Rune's mom, Lauren, is about 200 years older than Rune, who's two, who's 75. So she's about 275 years old. Reese's mom and sister were apparently slain, quote-unquote, centuries before Feyre when Reese is explaining it to Feyre. Tamlin is like a little 400, a little younger than 400. He's a little younger than Reese because he was a child during the war, right? Um, And his father was still High Lord at this time. So I think the timeline could add up. Um, and so, like in Hosab, Rigilus also notes her people were already here, but she and the princesses discovered where my siblings had hidden the access points in their world. Um, and so Rune and um, or Reese's mom and sister were in the Illyrian wilderness at the time and place that they were being hunted by Tamlin's family. You know where she could have escaped? Ramiel and atop the mountain, the stone monolith, which could have transported her to Midgard during, um, like, how the blood rite transports Faye to another location. Mic drop. But on top of all of these theories, we know that there's one thing tying literally the entire universe together, and that is the word. The fate word marks being the alphabet of the universe the cauldron literally being fate itself being stirred in the eddies of the cauldron so there's literally like a million and one things that i could talk about with 
like what the word gates mean and what the different worlds have in regards to word gates. Something that I mentioned at the top of this episode is that I think that Reese's sister, aka probably Rune's mom, potentially escaped through Ramiel as a word gate. So I think that the monolith stone on top of Ramiel is indeed a word gate because it literally transfers when when you touch it, it transfers you to like where you need to be. So like when uh, in the blood right in Court of Silver Flames, um, Gwen and Emery t- touch the touch the monolith at the top while Nest is defending them and fighting Braylon, Queen Braylon, and Cassian and that dickhead. Illyrian warrior um and they get taken to the river house and Emery says this kind of like throw throw away line where she's like I think it knew where we needed to be taken huh how did it know that how did it how did it transport you exactly where you needed to know where it needed to go um but in all in all seriousness in all seriousness the Illyrian warrior Enelaus was defending what's now known as the Pass of Enelaus, where Nesta also decides to make her final stand, on Ramiel during the battle with the Daglin. And presumably he's doing this to pre- like prevent them from reaching that monolith at the top um, and using the word gate, right? So we already know, we've already talked about this earlier, that Regulus says that they hid access points Right. And that's why I think that's one part of the evidence that I think that Ramiel is potentially a word gate. Um, and so when they're in the blood, right, Emery is describing this to Nesta and she says, long ago, so long ago that they don't even have a precise date for it. A great war was fought between the Fae and the ancient beings who oppressed them, a.k.a. the Daglin, a.k.a. the Asteri. One of its key battles was here in these mountains. Our forces were battered and outnumbered, and for some reason, the enemy was desperate to reach the stone at the top of Ramiel. We were never taught the reason why. I think it's been forgotten. But a young Illyrian warrior named Enelaus held the line against the enemy soldiers for days. He found a natural archway of stone amongst the tangle of boulders and made that his bottleneck. He died in the end, but he held off the enemy long enough for our allies to reach us. This right is all to honor him. So much of the history has been lost, but the memory of his bravery remains. Okay, so obviously, Enelaus knew some shit about Ramiel and the portal and the word gate on top. Going back to our theory earlier, if he potentially was connected to Thea's missing daughter, um, obviously she would have known if there was a word gate up there. Eris also interestingly points out that the three sister peaks the three sister mountains in prithian are um under the mountain in the middle where feyra dies or goes meets reese goes through a trial saves hamlin saves the world and then dies (laughs) under the mountain um sorry love you feyra but book one yeah yeah we know how we feel about that lots of feelings um, and then the two sister peaks are the prison mountain and then also Ramiel. And so really interesting, Eris points out, oh, there's underground like caves, palaces built into under both the prison and under the mountain. But the Illyrians never cared to look for if there's anything underneath Ramiel. So like Ramiel, obviously a portal. You mm-hmm. know what else? 
You know what else is interesting? With the Night Court and Ramiel, they're three stars above Ramiel. And we know. This is like a mini subset theory, guys. I'm just going to like throw this out there. I don't have that much evidence off the top of my head to back this up. But stars are obviously spirits. Like we know at Starfall, Feyre tells Reese, oh my god, they're not stars at all. They're spirits. And Reese is like, oh my god, like the numbers have actually been dwindling over the years because the Asteria are probably eating them. Mm-hmm. So who do you think those three stars are? I think it's Thea and her two daughters looking over Ramiel and Prithian and the Night Court and protecting that word gate. Anyways, that's a side note. So that's my soapbox. Ramiel is obviously a word gate slash a portal. However, you know what else I think is a word gate? The cauldron itself. So the cauldron is literally like known as like its own being its own power like it's literally limitless it's literally what created prithian right Mm -hmm. interesting is it was crippled when its three legs were separated so that's the whole plot of akamath and akawar is the king of highburn is like "Ah, i gotta get the feet back so i can make the cauldron whole again right yep three feet of the cauldron what does that sound like three word keys to make mm-hmm. a word gate hole again. God, again with the parallel, Sarah. Damn. Yes. Then, lastly, lastly, just going to throw this out there. It's mentioned in Throne of Glass, book one, that they, that Aelin, Aelin says, or Selena, Aelin, says that they could feel this energy shift in the world as if the king had journeyed to stir some great cauldron. Sarah, I just, I give up. I give up. Game over. <laughs> you, you win. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Exactly. I mean, would make sense. And also, if we think about it, like, I mean, just to point this out, we've already gotten Akatar and you know, Throne of Glass crossover, like Aralea and Prithian with Aelin literally falling through the world. She saw Reese and Farah. you know, she described it as the world coded by like stars and Reese literally slows her down um, so that, you know, she wouldn't miss her own world when she was falling. Um, And also Reese and the priestesses see that falling red star as a bad omen and this is just a couple months before Bryce lands in Prithian. So uh, there's just so much evidence. Like, so, we just, so much evidence. We just need the next book to like have the confirmation. So, so much evidence. And then this like world walking theory with Aelin falling through worlds, right? Because she falls. She falls. You guys can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm motioning my hand up to down as though she's falling. So Aileen is falling through the worlds. And you know who who describes a theory of worlds being stacked on top of each other? Meryl and Akasaf. And I swear to God, Akasaf as a book, as much as it's my favorite book of all time and Nessa's journey means so much to me, half of that book is literally just meant to be Easter eggs for this crossover. One of which being Meryl, who we've never heard of, of course, until this book. Meryl is researching potential the potential existence of other worlds. And she basically describes um, to Gwyn through her research. And then Gwyn describes this to Nesta. She's like, oh, Meryl's brilliant. She's currently researching or she used to be researching that 
the ex- potential existence of other worlds separated by time and space and a whole bunch of other things being stacked on top of each other, as many as 26, with time itself being the 26. And then that's where they're confirmed with the harp. That's all like string theory, like all of that, whatever, whatever. So with Aelin falling through the world, that's confirmed because Reese literally, like, she's not just like, like metaphysically falling through the world like she's actually like a physical like being falling through the world as that star because reese has to like lash out his power to slow her down right um and so they're all connected it just makes so much sense and then speaking of gates regulus also tells bryce in house of sky and breath at the end before they escape the series palace he says your starborn ancestors shut the gates to stop us from invading their realm once more and reminding them who their true masters are. And in the process, they shut the gates to all other worlds, including those to hell, their stalwart allies. So not only did Thea wield the harp um, and the horn to bring her people from Prithian to Midgard, but then in the same breath or in the same vein in that war that ensued, they she used it with her daughters to actually close all of those gates. And he says gates. He says gates. And Aelin herself was a living word gate and chose to close all of those doors and the gates to all the worlds. So these worlds have done been locked up and Bryce and the Assyrian Regulus, like they're trying to use Bryce and the horn to open them all back up so they can go conquer everything again. So Exactly. For the crossover, this is, like, so, so, so important. Like, cannot describe how important. Oh, oh. Also, speaking of the word and word marks, I can't believe I almost forgot to mention this, you guys. Bryce's tattoo that the horn is inked into, it's it's word marks. Danica yeah. chose an ancient language that nobody knew that's just a bunch of symbols. It's word marks. It's word yeah. marks. Yeah. No. Not, like, a question whatsoever um but okay that was a lot we know that this has been a lot but we're hope that you're sticking with us because these are all so important and like if you haven't caught it then now you definitely have and i already know you guys are all gonna be flipping back to your copies of akatar crescent city throwing a glass trying to find all these easter eggs but we're coming to the end of our theories of course there's like so many small ones we could get into as well but like we said earlier trying to stick to the main ones let's just talk about quickly the witches I feel like we, t- we touched on it a little bit with like Lydia and how she has the relation to witches and she is the half witch and then also has the gold eyes which relates to the witches in Throne of Glass but there let's talk about the three-faced goddess so in Throne of Glass witches both iron teeth and Christian, they worship this thing called the th- three-faced goddess. Like, that is their god. And it's the maiden, the mother, and the crone. The witches in Crescent City also mention a three-faced goddess. And the mother in Akatar was said to have wielded the cauldron to literally create Prithian's world. And then also directly communicates with Nesta to push her towards one fate um and another as though she rules you know it's similar to like Erd in crescent city which is like god but it's kind of like the will of a god but they're like it can't be a coincidence that there's witches in two different 
worlds, both Crescent City and Throne of Glass, and they literally honor like the same goddess. And then Akatar, even though there's no witches in Akatar, but there's still the mother who we're thinking, you know, that's like something pulled from what the witches believe in because it's the maiden, the mother, and the crone. Yeah. And there is also, interestingly, actually, although, like, witches as, like, a species or, like, whatever, as, like, a people aren't prevalent in Akatar, in Akasaf, they actually have some mentions of, like, evil witch. Like, when Nesta's going out to the Bog of Urid to look for um, the mask, Reese talks about uh, – Reese and Amarin are talking about how, like, oh, yeah, there used to be, like, evil witches that, like – the kings would like exile there to the middle, right? Like evil things would would um pa- patrol the middle of Prithian. Mm-hmm. It's like an ancient place. Um, and then there's a couple points in in Akasaf that Nesta literally is like, yeah, I'm a witch. Like when Lord Devlon is like, what is she doing here? What business does she have? Nesta's like witchcraft, um, archer on witch ancestry. Anyone? Also, Ironwood is canon both in, obviously, Throne of Glass because that's what the Iron Teeth witches make their brooms out of. Mm-hmm. Also canon in Akatar. Literally literally learn in, like, chapter one that the Archerons have an Ironwood bed. And then Bryce has, like, Ironwood furniture. I think, like, an Ironwood desk um, mentioned in Crescent City. So, like, all of these little pieces of, like, the witchy culture and things. So important. So important. And yes, I all- love the witch culture. Yes, we love Sarah. Give us a witch's novella immediately. I need immediately. it. Norian, please. If I don't see Minorian in this book, I'm rioting. I need a novella immediately. Okay. The last thing, just that, like, again, more just like pointing out that this is so similar. We have the drop in Crescent City, which is where, like, Faye, anyone, you know, angels. They basically, like, at the current age that they have, they make the drop so that they can, like, you know, become immortal. Like, you can still die, but you can live for thousands of years based on, like, what species you are. Depends on, like, how long you can live for. Like, they can live for, like, a millennia or, like, whatever. We also have settling and throwing a glass, which is basically where Faye, like, settles so that, you know, it's, like, if they're, when they're fully Faye, they settle at a certain age and then they stay that age, basically, for the rest of their lives until they fade into the afterworld or you know like if you're half they basically like Edian, like he was like oh i don't know when i'll settle but then it was prophesized oh he would like settle soon same with elin like me was like oh you're going to settle in a couple of years and you're gonna you could live until you're a thousand and then we also have being made in akatar so, you know, that's like being made from the cauldron, being made immortal. But all these three different things are basically making you immortal. And it's just like same thing, different font across these universes. Yeah. And again, shout out to my girl Emily's theories on TikTok because I love you. She has one of the most interesting parallels that I have never seen pointed out anywhere in that. In each of the times that Aelin, Feyre, and then Bryce are becoming immortal. So um, in Aelin's case, it's when she's world walking and falling through the world. She sheds her mortal body to be, you know, come stuck in her fey body and become immortal. And then Feyre obviously getting made by the High Lords. And then Bryce obviously doing the drop. All three of them 
are anchored by their tattoos, which is so interesting. So Rowan inks a tattoo of word marks onto Aelin so that she can find her way back as a tether. Feyre's mm. tattoo, obviously in the mating bond also, Feyre's tattoo and bargain with Reese is like a string that she grabs on while she's like trying not to float away into the ether and she's seeing out of Reese's eyes while all the High Lords try and resurrect her. And then same with Bryce. Bryce is the only person in Crescent City that makes the drop without a, like another person actually anchoring her. Her anchor is Danica, who's dead. It's her spirit, but they're connected by this tattoo. Um, also, just like evidence, like if you're hating on Danica, like yes, like Miss Girl had all of her secrets. Like, was she a great friend to Bryce? Like, up for debate? Like, again. I will die on this hill. SJM writes morally great and complex characters. Like, it's hard to judge mm-hmm. one without the other. Like, you can't say, like, Aelin's incredible scheming and secrets are, like, what makes her such a fun character and then, like, hate on Danica for the exact same thing. Whatever. Point being, all three of them are tethered by their tattoos to another soul. So, you know, just pretty interesting. I think they all have a lot in common in the drop slash settling slash being made is very Mm -hmm. intriguing yeah the tattoo theory is definitely interesting emily's theories like that's super original have not seen that anywhere across like the tiktok all the theories and some theories i'm like no that's so far-fetched like i don't believe it that one i'm like hmm gets me thinking in terms of theories we might be theoried out even though there's so many more we can talk about but we're just gonna go off to end this episode on kind of like our head cannons, but also just like our one-off character theories. So Mia, I'll, I'll let you go first because I feel like you feel passionately about passionately about this one. Yes. Okay. I'm so excited about this one. This one also comes as a combination from Emily's theories, A Court of Thorns and Roses, and A Happy Hermit on TikTok. Literally like my SJM Bible gods. If they ever listen to this, I think I would like actually keel over. I love you guys so much. More is a Crochin witch. And you literally cannot convince me otherwise. So she wears red, first of all. Like, yeah, that might be kind of silly goofy, but like also you guys have to remember like Easter eggs aren't always like this like extremely subtle thing. Like sometimes they're meant to be purposeful and like mm-hmm. color imagery is like one of the most important symbol- like symbolism that um, authors can draw upon. So she wears red. She didn't come into her powers until her first bleeding which is the same as the witches, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. like she was still a witchling, like she was 17, right, when she yeah. got her powers and then her family is trying to barter her off to heiress in a marriage. She also, Reese describes her powers as more is who I would unleash after Asriel and Cassian have fallen. And like her power is like very confusing, but what if that power is actually the yielding? I just, like, I can't get over this one. Moore is definitely witch ancestry slash a witch herself, but they just don't have a word for it in the Akatar universe. Yeah, and she's described as, like, breathtakingly beautiful, and we know that the witches are all, like, basically it's part of their armor to be these insanely beautiful people so they can suck in their prey. But some of our other just, like, one-off theories, obviously Ethan meets this, like, wolf Basically, he finds a missing Fender Air um, Alpha in the Mystics. And what do we think is going to happen with them? Like, come on. 
I think they're mates. Um, like even literally finds her, wants to rescue her. Like, why would he have some draw to her? Other than being like, okay, she's an alpha wolf, and like he wants to follow her because also when he finds her, he's packless since he got kicked out of like you know the um like Sabine's and like Danica's mother's wolf pack and everything like that. But I think we got some wolf romance upcoming. Also, on that note, in Crescent City as well, Flynn on, and Adrienne, the dragon. Ariadne? Ariadne. Yeah, however you say Adrian? that again. Sarah killing me with these names. Killing me. Guys, I just like for context, I have diagnosed myself with speech dyslexia where I like don't know how to pronounce anything. So Sarah really be testing me sometimes. But. Flynn and the dragon are definitely going to get together because obviously Flynn's like so flirty. We know that he's had sex with Danica in the day. Like he's obviously trying to fuck Bryce, but he's like the quintessential frat, bo- frat bro. But he's so into this dragon and she wants nothing to do with him. And like, how common is that in the Sarah G. Mass universe? So common. So that's going to happen. Um, then Vaughn, the only cadre member that we never met. And I think in the end, like, when they finally win the war and throw in a glass, either, like, Fenris or, like, Rowan, maybe Lorcan, they basically are like, oh, we're never going to see Vaughn again because now that he's free from Maeve, like, he's just going to, like, want to be free and, like, live on the wind forever. But, like, I think Vaughn's going to come out into the woodworks. Like, why do we hear? Why would we, like, why would Vaughn even be a relevant character for us to never meet this man, you know? Oh, absolutely. Vaughn is my Roman Empire. That man better be showing up in Crescent City. Yeah, so curious. We need another really sexy, fey, powerful male to show up into the universe because obviously we don't have enough in Sarah J. Mass universe. Obviously. Um, Another headcanon of mine, the Bone Carver is the same god of truth slash sin eater from Throne of Glass. And I particularly love this one because Dorian Rizilliard and his connection with Damaris, his sword of truth, have a connection to this like sin eater god through his ancestor, Gavin, who is the first king of Otterlin. So, you know, it's just interesting for me, especially when Rift Hold is named Rift. Rift Hold. Hold the Rift. And Aelin wonders... Hmm, I wonder why Gavin chose this site to build his palace if there was something worth underneath, worth building it on. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Cur- curious to me. Perhaps the bone carver existed in this world at one point or another, given that we obviously know that the gods in Throne of Glass were beings trapped there. And even Aelin is like, oh, this sin eater god was like long forgotten like long mm-hmm. forgotten yeah they go underground and they basically are going through his like basically the like temple and they keep going further and further and they're like it, the bones just keep getting older and older and they're like this is an old old god old yep. god an old god and we know in Actar that he's described as an old god with his siblings um Stryja the weaver in Koshi so Mm -hmm. interesting and speaking of dorian i i would also as much as we've talked about our other theories with like the crescent city characters just headcanon minorian ancestors to resand or the night court in some form i just like there's so many parallels like obviously dorian rune reese tan 
striking sapphire blue violet eyes incredibly powerful like dorian's raw magic is said to be at some points like even more powerful than aelin um there's also like a couple random like imagery points where dorian likes to transform and shapeshift into a raven once he learns his shapeshifting power and reese has feathers of raven crowns he also has a crown of starlight like manon has a crown of starlight as queen of the crochens or queen of the witches Mm -hmm. so interesting interesting yeah definitely interesting here um Okay, another one, I think this is less of a headcanon, just something we're waiting to happen, is Lucian, the reveal of him being the son to Helion, the High Lord of the Day Court. So are we going to get soon Lucian, High Lord of the Day Court? Do you think he'll end up with his mate, Elaine? Will she be a High Lady of the Day Court? Or is she going to go for us? Like... Who even knows? That'll probably be more of a next Akatar book rather than this upcoming Crescent City book, but still an important question. We might see more like, you know, interactions between the three in this next Crescent City book. Um, also, is Eris a bloodhound? Like, does he know can he sniff out people's ancestry exactly like how Danica can? Because father? he definitely knew. He definitely knew that Lucian was Helion's son and not Baron's son. Mm-hmm. There's like a slight throwaway hint to this where I think at one point Cassian is visiting Jurian and Vasa and Lucian in the human lands at their home as like the band of exiles or whatever. Um, and he like Eris sniffs the air and he can scent more on it, even though more like wasn't there. And he was like, oh, is more gonna come out of hiding or and comes Morgan gonna come say hi or whatever? He's definitely a bloodhound. He definitely knows definitely knows he's like he tells recent in the inner court he's like who do you think got word to tamlin to get to his border as lucian was trying to escape his brother is killing him like mm-hmm. eris knows eris is a good guy eris been sarah my roman empire regardless yeah no we've said this once we'll say it again like protect eris at all costs yeah. okay just a couple quick things to run through we think Hypaxia's necromancy powers are going to come back. Like, we know that, especially in Throne of Glass, we had a lot of important summonings of spirits from the past, like Alina Galathinius, um, Gavin, the first king of Adderland, and just Fuck those hoes. <laughs> Mia hates Mia. Again. <laughs> but I think there's definitely going to be some important summoning happen. I would also love to see Danica again, I will say. Um, but we shall see. Then also, like, are Jessica, you know, Jessica is Bryce's boss at Griffin Antiquities. She's described as some like witch that kind of left and she became some sorceress and then started associating with the house of Flame and Shadow. She's like good friends with the Reapers as well as, you know, like the, the dead court, you know, are they the same person? Like, you know, because we also have the high priestesses in Akatar. So I don't really think. I don't necessarily believe that they would be the same people because, again, I don't – I think that everything's happening simultaneously just in different worlds. But, like, are they related? Like, what's going on there? Yeah. They're both also described as being, like, stunningly beautiful. Like, I just – I need to know more about Jezebel. I think she's going to have an important role to play. The fact that 
um, Adis is like, oh, yeah, I know her, but not by that name. And they know each mm-hmm. other in the epilogue of House and Earth and Blood. They're literally talking about Bryce and they meet up. Like, why is Jezebel chatting with the Prince of Hell? Like, hi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like, oh, are you cat? And he's like, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, a couple other just like quick one-offs. I am so curious about the under king in Crescent City. Like, obviously, like Bryce and Hunt like literally have a, a fight with him in the Bone Quarter, but I think he might be a surreal because he's described as this kind of like tall, creepy, bony figure with a voice that's both young and old. It's just like eerily similar to the surreal. And he seems to have these kind of like mm-hmm. all-knowing powers because Bryce goes there to ask a bunch of questions. Similarly to how Favorite traps the surreal to ask her all her questions. Also, okay, I did. But rest in peace to the surreal in the spring court. May he never be forgotten. Oh, I sobbed you guys on my reread sobbed i there there's a paper trail of texts that i sent carly of me with actual tears in my eyes saying that i had to put the book down and this is like the fourth time that i've read these books <laughs> yeah, I never I, get cry, I cry every single time i lose i'm gonna lose my shit it's mm-hmm. fine um and then last but not least like something just to like tickle the mind just like to put it out there that is like a one and done and never mentioned again. Dracon and Miriam, they they have the cauldron now in their possession on their secret island of Critia, um, aka like probably Greece. Like if Prithian is the UK, then Critia is probably Crete. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Side note. Dracon and Miriam are hiding some shady shit. So if we remember, Miriam was the last person besides Amran to be made. Like, she was made immortal. And they say, this is this is a, a quote from Akwar, Miriam died, a spear through her chest during that last battle at the sea, Reese explained. She bled out while she was carried to safety. But Dracon knew of a sacred hidden island where an object of great and terrible power had been concealed an object made by the cauldron itself legend claimed he brought her there to creatia and used the item to resurrect her and make her immortal as you were made pharah like hello what is that object of power that was made by the cauldron and now Mm -hmm. they have that thing that item that resurrected miriam from the dead and also the cauldron like you can't tell me that that's not going to be important maybe it won't be important in house of flame and shadow maybe it'll be important in akatar 5 but like i this roman empire why does nobody talk about this yeah so many questions and they can't all be answered in one book so that's why we realistically know they won't be all answered in crescent city 3 otherwise we'd probably all be reading for like two weeks to finish that fucking bible but these are questions we have, and these theories, like, we'll definitely be making another episode post-Crescent City 3, House of Flame and Shadow, to basically compare what we theorized, what was accurate, what we're now thinking that might be different based on some new evidence, and we cannot wait to dive into that. 
Oh, yes, you guys. This is just the tip of the iceberg. We absolutely cannot wait to have House of Flame and Shadow in our hands next week, just days away, and share our reactions with you guys next week. So stay tuned. As soon as we devour this book, you guys will be getting another episode with our reactions and a deep dive. All right. Now that we've dived into like a thousand massiverse theories and are ready i hope all you guys feel ready for crescent city 3 house of flame and shadow to come out in just a couple of days of course me and i will be tearing into this book and then coming back to you guys with our reactions and our deep dive and this is going to be a crazy episode like we might be screaming during many parts of this so i cannot wait i sincerely have such high hopes for this book and i already know like i'm gonna be eat sleep breathing this book until i finish and can come back to you guys with my thoughts so just get ready for it and we're always looking for book recs so if you have suggestions shoot us a dm on tiktok at reading and ranting pod or email reading and ranting pod at gmail.com until next time happy reading besties